Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. All right, greetings. My name is Justin Cook. Um, I am a member here at Springbrook, and I will be reading today's scripture for us. It comes from Luke 10, 25 through 37. So one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would would you define neighbor? So Jesus does what he always does and replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then... A despised Samaritan. In my head, I picture him saying a frickin' Samaritan, like the worst of the worst, right? A despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with his olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins two days worth of work's wages. Take care of this man, and if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. Thanks, buddy. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for today, and thank you for this room. And um, I just ask for your spirit to be with us. We believe that you are present. Will you uh, wake us up to that presence? Uh, we thank you that you are with us and for us. And so I pray in these next few minutes that we would... Um, I don't know, as we interact more with uh, where I believe you want us to be. Our, uh, we say that we were made on purpose for purpose. And so I just pray that you would, um, I don't know, cause us, cause friction in us uh, with that purpose. That you would uh, stir up things in us that uh, remind us that you have work for us. That you are cheering for us. That you are um, setting us free by sending us out into the world. So we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Uh, all right, let, let's jump in. We are uh, smack dab in the middle of a series about neighboring. Um, are you tired of Luke 10 yet? I'm not tired of it yet, so <laughs> we're, we're going to stay in Luke 10 for a couple more weeks. Um, one of my practices in my own life is uh, I sometimes feel like I'm not smart enough for the Bible, and so I just have to read it over and over and over and over again. That's not me saying you're not smart enough, uh, so I'm making you read it over and over again. Just That's my own, my own personal thing. So um, when I was growing up, uh, my mom has said that um, what I assume, I mean, I assume there were many joys in raising me as a small child. I don't know if you can, <laughs> I don't know if you can picture this person younger, uh, but with less filter than I currently have. Um, but I know that one of her great frustrations um, in raising me was that she would, that, that I would, I, I found a way, I was more interested in finding a way how to not follow a rule without breaking it than I was how to actually follow a rule. Um, she says it nicer. She says, She's not here to tell you this morning because she's in Denver, but she would tell you. Uh, she said, we struggled to get you to understand the spirit of the rule, not just the specifics of it. Um, which is a very nice way of saying you have a problem with authority. Um, <laughs> but uh, I remember that um, they, 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 she would say that they would have to explain the rule and they would have to explain 18 things, 18 other, you know, plan Bs and no, you can't do this, but also this, 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 and this, you know, kind of go around and make sure uh, that I couldn't like squeeze out under a technicality. Uh, for example, um, one of our rules playing outside was that we weren't allowed to go inside people's houses. Um, and so my brother and I, we would leave and we would say, we're going down to the cul-de-sac to play at the Downies. And on the way out, mom would say, okay, don't go in their house. And we would say, check. And then hours later, she would find me in Morgan's house at the Allens. And she would be like, I told you not to go inside. And I was like, no, you said not to go inside the Downies. This is the Allens. So I went in their house where there was air conditioning. Um, I never made it to the Downies because I, you know, wanted to break the rules. So, so we would leave, it changed from don't go in their house to don't go in their house or Morgan's house or Matt's house or Callie's house or the other, you know, like naming everyone. Um, another one, I, I was not allowed, I'm quoting the exact rule here. Um, I was not allowed to turn on the oven when my parents weren't home. Um, and so when I accidentally caught a wooden spoon on fire while making mac and cheese on the stovetop, I was flabbergasted that they thought I broke the rules because all they said was not to turn on the oven, not the stovetop. Those are two different things, <laughs> right? Two completely different things. They did not specify. And then everyone's mad about this fire. And I was like, you know, you should have told me not to turn on the stovetop, you know. Um, so in our story today, the lawyer, he comes to Jesus, and he is looking for a loophole to the law, and I completely relate to this. Maybe a few of you uh, do as well. Um, the lawyer and Jesus, they're talking about, we've talked about this the last few weeks, uh, what Jesus calls the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so the lawyer um, as he's having this conversation with Jesus, he, um, missing the spirit of the commandment, he says to Jesus, so how would you define neighbor? Um, I think it's a great question. I feel like maybe it comes off a little sassy, uh, but to me, I really, really relate to it. Um, I want to quote uh, Frederick Beekner, who, if you've read him, is another lover of the loophole. Um, and he, this is what he says about this uh, little passage we've been reading. He says, uh, the lawyer wanted a legal definition he could refer to in case the question of loving one ever happened to come up. He presumably wanted something on the order of... 
A neighbor, here and after referred to as the party of the first, is to be construed as meaning a person of Jewish descent whose legal residence is within a radius no more than three statute miles of one's own legal... You get what I'm saying? This is, this is the Frederick Buechner's take on what the lawyer was expecting um, from Jesus. Lawyer uh, jargon. He was looking for something legal. Probably something he could use uh, maybe to better enforce the greatest commandment on the Jewish people. That would have been part of his responsibilities. Um, But we're humans, and he's human. And so my hunch is maybe part of his question uh, was looking for a way to defend himself against what he knew he wasn't doing. That's kind of how I read it. Uh, So what's a neighbor? I want to know the answer because I know I'm not doing it fully, and I want to make sure that I'm not in trouble for not doing something I'm supposed to do. He was looking for a uh, legal defense, not a state of the heart. And so Jesus' answer had to have shocked him because Jesus answers not with legal jargon, but with the spirit of the law. He doesn't answer him with uh, measured specificity, but he answers him, as Justin said, as he always does with a story. A traveling man gets robbed and beaten and left for dead. And a priest comes, and he walks to the other side of the road. There's a great joke here uh, about in another translation that says, uh, the priest, when seeing he had already been robbed and had no more money, goes to the other side of the road. (laughs) A priest comes, walks to the other side of the road. The temple assistant comes, leaves him for dead. And then comes a Samaritan, a despised, different, other, stranger, Samaritan. And he comes with mercy and wine and olive oil and a donkey. Jesus, he, he doesn't give the lawyer legal jargon or even a specific definition of neighbor. He tells a story about a state of heart, a heart of mercy leading to a heart of action. Uh, and while I absolutely believe what I've said over the last couple of weeks, that, um, that the art of loving our neighbors does not disqualify our actual geographic neighbors, I do think that's absolutely what Jesus is talking about. Um, I also think in this story, Jesus kind of um, walks the camera back a little bit and takes a wider uh, view than anyone was expecting. Jesus uh, takes the definition of neighbor from something strictly geographic uh, to something referring to need. It, it's kind of like the lawyer asking, uh, I, I, this is what I think, I'm, I'm not sure that the lawyer so much wanted to know who is my neighbor as who is not my neighbor. I think that's kind of the question behind the question. And what Jesus does is he rebuttals that, uh, with, that with a story about need and mercy, essentially saying, who is your neighbor? Anyone who needs help, anyone who needs mercy, anyone who needs you, that's who your neighbor is. The, the good neighbor was more about mercy and need and connection uh, than it was about geography. Again, don't think geography is excluded. I just think it's widened. Um, now, he isn't Jesus, but he is arguably a very good neighbor, but Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, he named his whole show after it. He says this, he says, all of us at some time or another need help. That's one of the things that connects us as neighbors. It's echoing what I think Jesus is saying. We are connected to people by need, by mercy, by help. Learning to love your neighbor as yourself means uh, learning to see your neighbor as anyone in need of help, anyone in need of mercy, anyone in need of room, anyone in need of connection. I think a big part of what Jesus is saying is that learning to love our neighbors means uh, learning the art of hospitality. Uh, hospitality is, is, a, is a Bible word uh, essentially for neighboring. It's the art of making room for other people. 
uh, for their wants, their needs, their feelings, their fears, uh, for their differing views and opinions and tastes and practices and experiences. There are literally dozens of scriptures telling us about hospitality. Uh, Just in the New Testament, James tells us, do not neglect showing hospitality. Uh, Paul in Romans 12, he says, practice hospitality, or a better translation is pursue hospitality. Do it all the time. Uh, Paul later, when he's talking about being a leader in a church, he makes hospitality a requirement uh, for leadership. But I think for a lot of us, sometimes when we think of hospitality, we think of uh, fancy hotels or Martha Stewart um, or just maybe something that women are supposed to do. But that really isn't the Bible definition of hospitality. Uh, I think this is so interesting. The word um, hospitality that's used most often in the New Testament is um, philozenia. Uh, And so if you know anything about Greek words, philo is the root word for brotherly love, and xenia is the word for stranger. And so the word for hospitality is quite literally uh, the word for stranger and the word for brotherly love smushed together. In its most literal context, hospitality is neighboring. It is loving the stranger as you love your brother. It's the good Samaritan sharing what he had uh, for the man who needed it. It's a willingness to make room for and to engage uh, someone different, someone other, someone stranger. Part of the art of neighboring is learning the art of hospitality for anyone who needs it. Um, Robert Capon is a writer that I love. He was an Episcopal priest and a chef. Side note, he wrote a cookbook called Supper of the Lamb that's both a theology of the cross and a cookbook on how to cook a lamb, which I think is hilarious and awesome. Um, (laughs) So this is a, a, that's your spoiler that this is a wild man. Um, But he is wild, but he's brilliant. And he wrote a book called Party Spirit, which is both about throwing parties and the Holy Spirit. um, (laughs) But in this book, he calls parties statements of faith. That is a bold declaration. He says a party is a statement of faith, a statement of faith in our belief in God, our belief in hope, and our belief in his faithfulness to fulfill his promises. Uh, He calls parties sacrament. Sacrament is communion, baptism, marriage, sacrament. That's what he calls parties. He says when we practice uh, sacrament, when we throw parties, we get to practice the future. We're practicing the kingdom of God where uh, this, spoiler alert, the world does not end by getting blown up uh, if that's what you've been taught. Um, We can have lunch and talk about it, uh, but it doesn't. The whole world ends with a party. It ends at a dinner party, not being blown uh, to bits. And so Capon says parties are sacrament because they allow us to practice what's coming. They allow us to practice uh, the future. And he says that the reality is that grace uh, from God sometimes comes to us through other people that sit around uh, our dinner tables. The moments and joys and hope and experiences of a dinner party, they have the ability to mimic in us our relationship with God, allowing us to, to practice for the future. That's true for dinner parties, but that's also true for exchanges in the break room, at work, uh, sitting in the stands at sporting events. Some of you spend more time doing that than anything else in the world. This is possible uh, there. It's true uh, FaceTiming people we love. I think it's true uh, gaming. I'm not a gamer. I do play Zelda, 
from time to time. Um, but I think there are things that we do that, 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 that this is possible. I think um, one of the points of the story of the Good Samaritan is that it is possible to practice mercy and hospitality anywhere that we are. Anywhere we are. Uh, hospitality, this is important. It's not entertaining. Hospitality is not entertainment. It's sharing. It's making room. Uh, hospitality, according to Paul in 1 Thessalonians, this is as clear of a statement on mercy and hospitality as I can find. He says, uh, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share not only the gospel of God, but our lives with you. Hospitality, the art of sharing. It's sharing what we have, the, the hope of the gospel, uh, and also sharing our lives with the people that we come in, in, into context with. This is our offering of hospitality. Uh, and again, you can do that at a dinner party on good china with five courses and crystal glasses filled with something aged in really good Italian oak. You can do that there. And you can also practice hospitality in your front yard, drenched in sweat, in your cut-off t-shirt when you just finished mowing the lawn. I don't mow, but Daniel does, in a cut-off t-shirt. <laughs> Both places, it's possible to practice hospitality. The Good Samaritan practiced the art of hospitality of neighboring, and all he did was walk down a road. That's what he was doing. He walked down a road, and he stopped when he saw need for mercy. I think part of the art of neighboring is learning how to gather people in groups and places, how to throw parties or stand in a front yard in a way that allows other people in. But I also think that the art of neighboring is learning how to cultivate in our heart and in our eyeballs how to spot need for mercy. Um, at home, next door, at work, at school, at the gym, at travel baseball games, at the grocery store, where, wherever we are, part of neighboring is learning how to spot, spot mercy wherever it is that we find ourselves. And it's learning the art of sharing versus the art of entertaining. Uh, hospitality is the art of making room. It's generosity of spirit, generosity of time, generosity of hope, and generosity of mercy. And we can do that anywhere. Literally anywhere. Um, I want to take a, a pause and do a side note uh, for the introverts in the room. Um, shockingly, I'm one of you. Uh, please don't roll your eyes. I see this. I can see. Um, I, every time I take a personality test, I, I actually did one this week just so I could prove to you. I won't put the results up, but um, I'm always like a 51% introvert and 49% extrovert, which is very confusing. You can feel sorry for me. Um, so I get it. I'm barely an introvert, but I still would like to speak to you. Um, uh, okay, so I, I hear, first off, if you're an introvert in the room, I, I know that you find people exhausting. I know that you do sometimes, and it is okay that a room full of people or a table full of people or even just another people, one person, um, sometimes makes you feel so incredibly drained. I know that passing of the peace is, is asking you to stretch yourself to the furthest ends of your boundaries sometimes. Um, I get that. It may not sound that, this way through the rest of my sermon, but I, I really, truly, truly get that. And... and um, and here's the thing, um, this is who you are, and that is okay. It is, a, it, is, it is, you are good. This doesn't mean that you are bad. I truly do not believe that the solution to introverts neighboring is to become extroverts. That is wild. I don't think that at all. I think God made you who you are, and you are uh, who you are. But I do want to talk about it. Um, 
I think a couple of things. It is a risk to put yourself in uncomfortable and exhausting situations more than it is for the extrovert. It is absolutely a risk to do that. But I do think that there's greater risk in not doing it. Sometimes the greater risk is that we would miss out on the fullness and flourishing of a life of mercy by exempting ourselves from hospitality because of our personality. Part of following Jesus means uh, stretching and risk-taking and finding ourselves uncomfortable uh, for the sake of joining God in the renewal of all things. The truth is this, I do not find anywhere in the scriptures where Jesus tells us only to do what comes natural to us or feels comfortable to us. This is like the passage I am longing to find. So if you have found it, please let me know. It's all I want to do is like sit and play Zelda. Just kidding. (laughs) Um, But I don't. I don't find it anywhere in the scriptures. I do, however, find dozens and dozens and dozens of scriptures where Jesus draws people into something uncomfortable and stretches them in order to set them free, to make them more human and more holy. Uh, So speaking frankly, there is nowhere in the scriptures uh, that there is a personality exclusion to the clause of hospitality or the clause of neighboring. There is no loophole on neighboring uh, uh, for introverts. There is, however, wisdom. Wisdom. Knowing your personality may not exempt or excuse you from the things that we're talking about, but it does offer you clues about the ways and means by which you do it. Uh, Wisdom means knowing that as an introvert, your preparation and your pace and your capacity and your recharging will be different from your extroverted friends or neighbors or core group members or your extroverted spouse. That's the trickiest one. Here's the thing. Jesus absolutely no way around it says, learn to love your neighbor as yourself. Being an introvert doesn't exempt us from the great commandment. But what is also true is that the Holy Spirit is absolutely in the business of filling us with the wisdom and creativity to do the things that he asks us to do. Uh, The wisdom and creativity to neighbor with healthy boundaries. The wisdom and creativity to uh, love your neighbor as yourself, doing it with your capacity, your pace, your preparation of being your true self. Uh, uh, that, that last part of the love your neighbor as yourself part is, is, is very important. As yourself, do this as you. Don't love your neighbor as someone completely different than who you are. Don't love your neighbor as an extrovert when you're an introvert. Love your neighbor as you, as yourself. Use wisdom and learn how to show up as a neighbor as you. One more note. For the introverts, the Bible has something uh, to say for you. Someone sent me this verse this week with the hashtag other side of neighboring. It is Proverbs 25:17. Don't visit your neighbor too often or you will wear out your welcome. So <laughs> introverts, the Bible has not forgotten you. There is a clause in here with your name on it. Um, Proverbs pro- proves it. Uh, capacity, pace, and preparation matter. Don't Don't go too often. Your voice and your mercy, they are so valuable. The world isn't telling you that. The world is saying just this type of person does this. And what I'm saying is Jesus says your voice and your mercy are valuable. Learn how to use them. Okay, extroverts, you can pop back in. You got bored in that. So come on back in. Um, Okay, so how does this play out for our lives? Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. famously said, God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does. 
Uh, I love this. We don't do any of these things to earn a right standing with God. We do these things because we believe God loves our neighbors. Um, So how do we become good neighbors? Uh, There's a story from um, a Jesuit priest named James Martin. He wrote a book called The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything. And um, in this book, he tells the story of uh, a saint, St. Alphonsus. And St. Alphonsus was a doorkeeper for a Jesuit school in Spain. And um, so he, his job was literally to open the door. That was it. But St. Alphonsus got in the practice of whenever he heard someone knock on the door, he would reply, I'm coming, Lord. And I think that is so precious. <laughs> that every time he heard someone knock on the door, he replied, I, I, I'm coming, Jesus. I'll be there to Jesus. Uh, it is precious and it's also poignant. Uh, his hope was that in this small practice, he would allow, uh, it would allow him to see any person who came to the door as Christ himself. And so I think part of how we do this neighboring thing is, is learning ways to incorporate this practice uh, into our lives with the people around us, seeing them as children of God, as image bearers of the king, as people in need of mercy and for whom room can be made. Uh, again, we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks. Uh, we do not neighbor uh, or do hospitality without boundaries. Absolutely not. But I think for a lot of this, uh, I know for me, this practice of making room for people and seeing them as, as God's children has like revolutionary impact on my life. Um, think about this. If you are a teacher or a principal, and there are a lot of, of, of you here or as part of our church, um, how would things change if your response to a kid showing up at your office or your desk or waving their hand in the middle of like the worst point of your lesson and they're waving it nonstop, what, if it, what would change if your practice became the, like, I'm coming, Lord, or yes, Lord? Or maybe it's the person that you work with, the one who is incapable of doing anything on their own. We all have them. Um, uh, it, it, that, what if it was that person uh, that every question they ask you within your heart, you could whisper, yes, Lord, and start to see the divine in them and see the image of God in them? What would it change if you could make room for them, for mercy, for kindness, for them? It would be revolutionary, right? It would change everything. And also, that feels un- impossible because people are the pits sometimes, I say this a lot, though. Uh, One of the most fun things about being a charismatic is that uh, we're a charismatic church, and so we believe a lot in the Holy Spirit, which means uh, we have a wild faith in impossible things becoming possible things. And sometimes things like this um, can, can make room for like an explosive, miraculous thing just because we're willing to, to see someone um, as a child of God in need of mercy. But also, sometimes the impossible becomes possible one small step at a time, one small practice at a time. Uh, How do we start to see the world as our neighbor? We start to do things like practicing this, seeing the world through the lenses of the divine. Uh, One more way. Um, Has anyone heard of uh, asset-based community development? Yeah, ABCD. My staff raised their hand. Um, (laughs) Jordan is teaching us a lot about this, and it is awesome. If you've never heard of it, Google this week. Uh, Asset-based community development. Um, It is a brilliant concept that uh, essentially operates under the premise that everyone has gifts and resources that can serve a greater purpose or a greater body or a greater community. Um, The Bible, often ahead of its time, talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12 when it says the church is one body of many parts. That's what asset-based community development is. Um, Another practice in growing and neighboring is learning how to use our gifts that all of us have, our resources that 
all of us have in order to foster connection, hospitality, and community, and help and mercy uh, wherever we are. Asset-based community development. Uh, Essentially, do the things you're good at and the things you love, and then do them for the flourishing of others. This looks different uh, for all of us. Uh, I have a friend, Hope. She does this with food. She's good at food, and she'll do it around a fancy dining room table, or she'll do it while we just stand in her kitchen and shave ham off this ham board thing she has. Um, uh, Emily Ramsey's doing this on Tuesday with yoga. Come, free, free yoga class, Tuesday night. Um, she, she's taking what she loves and what she's good at, and she's using it um, to, to build connection. Justin does this with CrossFit. Some of you are doing it with pickleball right now. It's not just athletic stuff. I did say ham. Uh, too. Um, I have a friend who dropped sourdough bread off at their neighbor's house all throughout the pandemic. Uh, uh, my friend Will Murren uses baseball. He used baseball to make a connection with Colin, who uses baseball to make a, a connection um, with other people. I, I could seriously go on and on and on. Um, but essentially what I'm trying to say is it's worth inventorying your life and inventorying your gifts uh, and say, what, what do I have to share? Where can room be made on your street or in your office or online or, gosh, I don't know, all the places where you go, where can room be made in your day-to-day life for the good of your neighbor, uh, geographic and beyond, for the good of those in need? Um, So two practices, where do we start? Last things. Um, I think this is what Eugene Peterson calls your square mile of concrete. We talk about this a lot around here. Where do you start? Wherever you're standing, do a circle of a one-mile radius. That's, that's where you start. Essentially what he's saying is you start doing this wherever you are. That's where you start, on your street, where you work, where you play. Uh, there's an old rabbinical proverb. It's my New Year's resolution every year uh, that says, wherever you are, there you are. And essentially, I'm just trying to learn to be where I am and not somewhere else in my mind all the time. It's true. In your life, wherever you are, there you are. You're there with your gifts. You're there with the Holy Spirit in you, with the mercy shown to you. And you are there with the overflow of mercy that is yours to give the world. Start where you are. Uh, This summer, we were dropping our kids off at youth camp. uh, And the parking lot was absolutely bananas. Like, It was a practical joke. I don't know if you've been in a parking lot like that where it's like, oh, everyone forgot how to drive and where to park. And it's too small. So it was kind of, it was kind of crazy if you were there, you know. Um, And, and then in the middle of all the commotion, the food supply semi-truck pulled in. (laughs) I felt terrible for him. Like it was awful. Um, And then when he pulled in, he was leaking some sort of fluid that looks important. Please do not see me for your car needs. Uh, That is not my offering to the world. But uh, whatever fluid it was, it looked important. And I watched as one of the dads at Springbrook, um, of a Springbrook kid, he goes and he like inspects the fluid and inspects the truck. And I see him realize he knows what the problem is. And then he goes to this driver who has to be hating his job at the moment. And I watched this dad like give him hope and give him help. And I looked at his wife and I said, when I was growing up, I always had to wait for my dad to talk to people because if you met him, he, he has the gift of gab. And so we were always sitting in the car waiting for him to finish a conversation. And so I looked at this guy's wife and I said, I bet you've always been waiting for him to fix stuff. And I have thought about this moment so many times over the last couple of months about the mercy and the hospitality of it. You know what the magic combo was of this moment? He's good at fixing stuff. And he was there. 
That's the magic combo. Because years ago, whether he realizes it or not, he made a spiritual practice around being interruptible to fix stuff. It is so simple. We know who we are. We make practice around wanting to offer it to the world. And then we just are in the world. One of the best practices of neighboring is learning what we're good at and being where we are. And then committing to use our assets for the good of the world. All right, let's take a moment. Um, this feels like the right spot. Uh, we practice Selah every week here at the church. Daniel's going to come up and, and play. Um, and we're just going to take a moment to breathe. Uh, I love this because, as I said, I really struggle to be where I am. So here's my invitation. Be in this moment. Let's just take a breath, and we're going to reflect on today. Um, uh, I have a couple of questions about this idea, maybe just to ruminate. We, around here, the phrase we use a lot is being the chaplain of wherever you are, that we have just appointed ourselves the chaplain of whatever space we're in. And so here's my questions for you to maybe think over for just the next few minutes, and then we'll come to the table. First, uh, who is God telling you is your neighbor? I think he will. I think he'll tell us something. Who is God telling you is your neighbor? Um, maybe another question on that is, who do you really hope God is not telling you is your neighbor? <laughs> That's worth figuring out. Honestly, spoiler, that's who he's telling you to, <laughs> to be neighbors with. Um, essentially what I'm saying is where is God trying to narrow your focus on neighboring? Maybe also where is God trying to widen your view of what neighbor is? Okay, question number two. Um, what are some practices that God might be stirring in you uh, to spiritually prepare you to be a good neighbor? Um, the great grace commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There's a first part. That absolutely is crucial if we want to do uh, the second part. So what are the practices that God is, is, is waking you up to um, or stirring you? Maybe it's the, like, I'm coming, Lord, idea of, of seeing people as Jesus, or it's, it's the practice of being interruptible or throwing parties as statements of faith, whatever it is. I don't know. Number three, uh, where is the Spirit waking you up to gifts, talents, assets, resources within you that might be good, uh, used for the good of the neighborhood, the break room at work, whatever community you're in, or the good of the world. Um, so let's pray. I just want to bless this work in us, and we'll just be quiet for a little while.